Thank you, worship team. You know, I cannot sing a song like that and keep my composure, so. Powerful words, powerful truth. Well, good morning, new community. Uh, I wanna welcome you here today. Uh, as it was mentioned, my name is Tim White, uh, and I wanna welcome those who are watching online. So glad to have you here. I want to begin today by making a very bold statement. That statement is simple. Jesus is risen. Jesus is risen. If you were wondering or guessing, I want to remind us today that the tomb is empty. They did not recover a body. The tomb is empty. I want to start that way because that is the truth that drove the early church, okay? Wasn't programs, wasn't uh, other things we needed to do, but it was that fundamental truth. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ signified one main thing, that evil, sin, and death have an expiration date. And that's what we come in here to declare today. Reminded of last week's sermon, Matt came to us and he talked about, uh, we serve a living God. We, we are brought into relationship with the living God. All that to say, this is an active present faith. This is not just something that's of the past, but it is very relevant for today, right now. Lori spoke several weeks ago, talking about the same God now, is the same God back then, that no matter what we're going through right now in the present, God is still a present help. Even when we can't see, we can't feel, God is still very much present. I think that is so key 
Because we need to get anchored in that truth because for far too often our faith has been kind of this roller coaster action. Now, now life, things are going to happen, but our faith has been kind of doing this. It's like, you know, things are good and, and God is great and things go sour and it's like, I don't know where God is, I don't know who I am. But I think what Lori was calling us to and even Matt is saying about the living God, that this is a present reality, that I need to be so anchored in that, that regardless of what is happening, that we can be steady in our faith. And I think with what's happening in our culture, in our world that we see on the news, that's exactly where we need to be. Because that's where the church was, the early church. There was all kinds of government corruption and oppression and all things that were going on at the time. And, and I've told you a, week, a few weeks back that God has come into a real world, right? This faith comes into a real broken world. Jesus wasn't levitating. He was walking on the ground. This is real. And so we need to be anchored in that truth this morning. And that's what the, the early church, and they witnessed to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They said no matter what was going on, the Spirit drove them to say, this is real. This is true. And so we keep that today, right now. Are we anchored in that this morning? And with that, that brings me to a fundamental question. We talk about being anchored. It's a basic question. Where are you from? It's a familiar question, but where are you from? We'll have different answers, you know, and we typically ask people that, especially when we encounter somebody that we haven't met. It says something about you, whatever location, state, country, especially when we hear someone talking and they have a different accent, they, they sound a certain way. Maybe there are things about them, their culture, perhaps, that, that give us a clue. And we ask that question, what, where are you from? That signifies uh, something very simple that, well, you're not from here. At least what I'm hearing, it sounds like you're from somewhere else, right? You know, you're here, right? You, 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 you're in this context, wherever we are, but the way you do things, the way you operate sounds like you're from somewhere else else, right? You tracking? <clears throat> we recently just came through the Olympics, and that's a big thing in our house. You know, we're all about swimming and diving and gymnastics and uh, track and field. That's kind of the biggest thing in our house. And of course, basketball. But that's not the main thing for me. One of the things that's so powerful to me is in the open, opening ceremony, when all the countries are coming in, right? The athletes and they're waving the flag of their country. They're showing what they represent, where they come from, their culture, their heritage, their language, all of that. that, that that's what they're bringing to the games, right? Right? So it took place in, in, in Tokyo, but people are coming from all over the world holding the banner of what they represent. And it says something about them, maybe their beliefs, how they think of, of the world, their worldview, that's what it points to. There's actually one athlete that just kind of blows me away, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. So he's the MVP of the Milwaukee Bucks, and uh, he's my daughter's, uh, one of my daughter's favorite NBA players, right? And she would talk about this guy all the time. I'm like, who is Giannis? Like, who is he? And then when I saw him, I'm like, okay. But then what blew me away is when he started talking. 
You know, it just kind of blew away when I heard his accent. And I'm like, hold up. Like, he doesn't fit maybe how I might perceive or think he might sound, right? But I'm like, he's a Nigerian man who was raised in Greece and is now living in the States. So all of that, that just blows me away. Like, all of the culture that he comes from, the, the language that he speaks, at least three languages, at least. I get envious of just being here in America because all I know is one and I'm working on my Spanish. It's there, I'm working on it. But still, like this brother grew up <laughs> learning at least three languages. And then that makes me wonder what are his customs, his culture, but he's an example of somebody. You can look at him visibly and, and maybe perceive a, a, a certain thing about him, but it's not until he starts talking that you say, oh, wait. Where are you from? Right? Blows me away. And then that brings us to Christ. As I was talking about a few weeks back, and we recognize that Jesus is also not from here. You know, and we see that in the Gospels throughout his, uh, his ministry as he talks a lot about where he's from. And he's, you see his relationship. This is why I like the Gospel of John, because John talks so much about the identity of Jesus, you know, not as much on the things he did and said, those things are there, but he focuses on his identity, you know. I talked about he is God come in flesh. He's fully God and he's fully human, that he's not like us. In other words, he comes from a completely different world, different culture, different assumptions, and on and on it goes. And yet he comes into our world. We, we recognize Jesus is not just the teacher, but he's Lord, he's creator, he is king. And that brings us to our text for today. I'm going to be bouncing around to several passages today because uh, I just, I couldn't stick to one. I mean, I, I think there's so much richness that brings out what we're, what we're going to talk about today. But that Jesus is clearly not of this world. And I laugh at this because we're in a culture that is so fascinated with alien invasion, you know, we've got movies every single year that come out and it's some other world that comes into ours and they're giving us knowledge or whatever, but there's this idea, this fascination with, are there other life forms out there? You know, you gotta do your fingers like that, life. You know, other worlds. I laugh because when I read this, like that's what I'm getting. So. Do I think alien invasion is a real thing? Yeah, right here, you know, right here. Jesus comes from another world. That brings us to our first uh, text. So actually there, there are two main texts that I'll, I'll, I'll focus on and then I'll bring in others. Starting at John 15, <clears throat> verses 18 through 21, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, 
they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. I want to jump over now to John chapter 17. Once again, Jesus is talking. He says, I have given them your word. So he's praying to the Father. John 17 is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. And this is part of his prayer. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are, here it is again, not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now these passages in John, this is, it's coming down to the final days. Jesus will soon be crucified and then he'll rise again, and then days later he'll, he'll go back to the Father. And, you know, apart from the miracles and things that he does, one thing that's very key in the Scriptures is the time that he spends with his disciples. And we can talk about his kingship, his lordship, the miracles he did, but, but one key aspect of his kingship, his lordship, is bestowing on his disciples and on us their identity. Sometimes we read scripture and we think the scriptures are just about rules, 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 but actually no. What's, what, what's, what's heavier in the scriptures is identity, actually. If you think back to the children of Israel, you, you know the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But you have to remember before that, God says, I am your God, you are my people. God starts off with identity and relationship. That's always first. Before rules, before commandments is identity. This is who you are. And from that, this is how you live, right? So this is key because Jesus, as he's spending time with his disciples, he's affirming, establishing their identity and identifying them with himself, right? Because as I talked about before, that Jesus comes into the world and we're not like him, but now he's offering salvation to us to come into his kingdom. And in his kingdom, we are now being conformed to be like him. And you see this, he says, they are not, you are not of the world. And we'll explain the world and all of that a little later. But you are not of the world as I'm not of the world. This has to do with identity. This has to do with disposition. We've got to get this first, right? This is your position in Christ. You are not of the the world. You're, you're, You're a part of something else. Something else that's come into the world, but is but is not of it. You know, like when Jesus was arrested and he stood before Pilate, Pilate's asking, you king of the Jews? And, and Jesus is like, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is affirming, listen, <laughs> I'm from another place, but I'm in the world. But, but my kingdom is not a product of this world. My kingdom doesn't use the tools of this world. 
I'm from heaven. And even in his prayer in John chapter 17, as he's talking to the Father, he's praying for uh, his disciples. And, you know, that, that chapter is so rich that it's like, um, it's like a buffet, you know, when I'm preparing to preach, it's like, where do I start? And I have to pick something. And so <laughs> I, I really wanted to focus on this theme, and that, that's pretty much the theme for today, not of the world. You are not of the world. What does that mean? It means that we represent another world, another reality. As I said before, identity, 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 identity. That's what it comes down to. That's where it starts for us as the believer. It is about identity. For another passage that I want to point to that kind of bears this out, just so you see that this is a, it's a recurring theme throughout Scripture, right, in the other writings. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. This is writing of Paul. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Just as Jesus is talking, you've got Paul's understanding that's rooted in the same truth, that we've been delivered from the power of darkness, but we've been brought into something else. One example I think of are, are people who are in the military, right? I've never served. I thank God for those who do serve. Um, but one of the key things they tell you when, they, when you first go in, <laughs> your life isn't yours anymore. You've come into a different system, so your way of doing things is done. We give you a new name, a new purpose. Your time is not your own. Your body is not your own. Your ideas are not your own. This is how we want you to think, move, act, all of that. And it's the same idea. You're coming into, you, you, and, and do you see that Scripture actually always shows the, the contrast, right? This is, this is one way of thinking. You come into a new way of thinking. Another passage I want to point to, Philippians 3, verses 17 through 21. Brethren, or brothers and sisters, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind 
on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. There it is again, that language, and we understand this language, citizenship. Now also on that day, because as you understand when Jesus comes, he's preaching about the kingdom of God. Now, it, it takes a bit of work for us in the West to understand the kingdom because that's not our lived experience. You have to understand people in that day, they understood kingdoms. There were kings, there were kingdoms. <laughs> they understood how they operated. So that was their lived experience. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, they get it, right? They, they, they understand even how he refers to himself, got it, got it. Why? Because that was their lived experience. It's a struggle for us because we live in a democracy, right? We elect our leaders. We don't like somebody, okay, we'll, we'll vote them out. We're done. You know, we can, we can talk bad about them or, or whatever we feel like doing, but in a kingdom, a king, it doesn't work that way because in a kingdom, a king's word is law, right? You know, the citizens just don't decide, this is what I want to do. No, the king's word is law. The king is responsible for the people, and people lived under corrupt kings. So if you're living during that time and you're hearing this announcement of a righteous king that's coming, where is he who's to be born king of the Jews? The understanding is there's a righteous king. That's good news to people. You have to understand the setting that they're in. That's good. Whoa. A righteous king, a just king. They knew what that meant. So we have to do a little work on our end to understand that. But we do understand citizenship. And if you think about our experience as an American citizen, we have rights, privileges, responsibilities. That's what it means to be an American. Even if I go to another country, I'm still under the American understanding of, of things. That's where my citizenship is, right? And, and I'm kind of hinting at where we're going, that this kind of we're in the world, but not of the world. But I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about that. We hear this term world. What does that mean? You know, the Greek word is cosmos. We get the cosmos, you know, and it's, it's a word that's used a lot throughout scripture and it can have different meanings depending on the context, right? It could refer to the world in terms of creation. You know, God created the world. It can, it can mean that. It can uh, refer to systems and structures and government. It can refer to people, all of those things. So just a little bit about the world. And first I'll read 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. This is the Apostle John writing. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What is this world concept? Okay, we are born into the world, we live in the world. 
We, we are astonished at creation, the grass and the trees and the water and all of that stuff. God created the world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But when you look at th this passage, you start to get a different understanding of well, what's in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Okay. He's talking about something having to do with the system, a mentality that we all are born under. Right? So just a brief history, this goes back to Genesis chapter 3. We call the fall, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Now I want you to understand that the fall is not about fruit. It's not just about fruit. There's actually something bigger that's happening there. Whether or not you eat from the tree, it's about what kingdom is going to rule us. What kingdom is going to be allowed to operate in the earth? So we've got God's kingdom, God who created, established everything to work a certain way, to go a certain way, and God said it was good. God creates Adam and Eve and says, this is how you function. Only one thing, don't eat from this tree. He gave them everything else. So God's not a fun killer. He gave him everything else. <laughs> he said, but just this one thing, don't do it. And then, you, you know, the serpent, and we, we learn later, that's the devil who comes and tempts them with another idea. Okay, another idea. This is another kingdom that's being formulated now. You've heard of the, the devil. He's, what he's doing is he's tempting them with the same thing that he did. What essentially the world is and what we're under, it's this idea that rather than God governing me, rather than God ruling us, I rule. That, that's, that's essentially what it is. Who's going to rule us? And what happened is Adam and Eve, rather than submitting to what God says, don't eat the tree, but you can enjoy everything else. They like the idea of self. Well, hold on now. You know, the serpent said, did God really say this? You know, there's that questioning. You know, there's that distrust for God. Did he really say? You know, God is a little, actually God is afraid of you. He's afraid of your true potential. That if you discover this potential, you're just going to be like God, right? Because he did the same thing. He wanted the worship of God. You see this in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, it kind of hints at this. He was an anointed cherub, but he decided, I want to sit in the seat of God, and he fell. He, right. He, like you said, he got his butt kicked out. Right? So that's what's happening in the garden. And we know the decision that they made. But when they made that decision, what, what happened was they said, no, we don't want God ruling over us. We're going to rule ourselves. But what happened is we fell under, caught up in self, but now under the rule of Satan. And so what the Bible is really a tale of two kingdoms and how the kingdom of God is entering back into the earth, right? So that's the story of Scripture. And so if you understand that, then you can understand how God calls Israel. What is God doing? Raising up a people who I can put in my will, my commands, my truth to be a light to the rest of the world of who the true God is. Because all of the world is under self, under Satan, 
I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and doing what you want to do can show up in all kinds of different ways, okay? So it's not one thing or this. It's just an overall mentality that says, I run things. So when it talks about we're not of the world, it's speaking of that whole mentality that we're, we're born under. And before Christ, that's how we all come. And we all might still wrestle with that. It's this idea that, no, I'm going to do what, <laughs> what I think is best, not God. And so when we come to Jesus' words, he's saying, I've called you out of that. I've called you out of that into a new system, a new way of thinking, a new way of operating. So then we think about, okay, we got these different systems and how does this look practically, right? And, and for that, I want to turn to another passage. One second, I want to make sure I'm not skipping something. I want to turn to another passage. That's in Galatians 5. We live in this world, we're not of it. Okay, gotcha, all right. Paul is writing to the Galatians. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against or wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, while we can be distracted by his whole list of sins, and it's not even an exhaustive list, I mean, we can come up with all kinds of things, but I want to point to something that's actually deeper that Paul is getting at. He's getting at an entire approach to life. I can live according to my flesh, my desires, or according to the Spirit. What is that about? That's about being ordered by what God has said. God's agenda. God's truth. And we know that as human beings still living in this earth, we struggle with that. But there's the call first to identity. Right? And that's how Paul is writing to the church. Let's get one thing straight as Jesus is saying, this is who you are. This is what happened to you. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2, that, that we're now seated in heavenly places. That means before Christ we were in sin, caught up in ourselves, but placing our faith in Christ and his finished work, not only are we forgiven, but we're brought into a completely different way of life. And so now what we're doing as Christians is our whole goal is not to just, you know, sin a little less, sin less, sin less, 
tomorrow I'm going to sin a little less than I did before. Let me tell you why that's problematic. Because when I say that, can you tell me what's my focus? What's my focus? Self, sin. That's my goal. Sinless. Let me give you an example with my wife, right? Now, what if I said, you know, my whole goal with my wife is, okay, don't, don't cheat on her. Don't beat her. Don't be cruel. Don't be all of these evil things. But that's my list that I put up on the wall. Okay, Tim, don't do that today. Don't do that today. Don't do this to my wife. Don't do that today. Well, that's my focus. What am I pursuing? What am I chasing? What am I going after? See, if, you're, if, you're, if that's the posture of the Christian life, you're, you're missing something very key, right? It's not just, okay, don't do this. Try not to do that. It's righteousness, peace, joy, self-control, long-suffering. Those are... That's the fruit of walking in the Spirit. That's my pursuit. In fact, that's the only way you're going to get the freedom to overcome any sin, any addiction. It's not sitting there talking about it all the time. It's not looking at it all the time. It's not staring at it. You need something else that's more powerful than that. And that's Jesus, first of all, naming you. Right? He's king. That means he names you. He owns you. And if you haven't had Jesus name you, I'm challenging you today, get in this word and let him name you right now. He's got to name you because in that he gives you your purpose. And what does he say to the disciples? You're not of the world, you're with me. That's a whole different meaning. That opens up a whole different world. Like if, like if I move to another country, there's new things I gotta learn. There's new ways of thinking, new, new ideas. I've got to take on, I've got to un unlearn certain things because in the U.S., this is how we do things. This is how we think about things. You know, here we're more individualistic, but I might go to a culture that is more about the community, and, and that's, a, that's a, a shift I have to make. I actually was learning that from some Nigerian friends, and we were talking about this, and, and, and they were talking about just their culture in Nigeria is so not individualistic the way we are. It's much more community-oriented. So what do you see is happening? There's a shift in my thinking. That's what it means to follow Jesus. But the challenge we run into sometimes is we, we say we're in Christ, but we're still operating according to an old system, right? We're operating according to an old way of thinking. And that's where there's a disconnect. There's cognitive dissonance in our walk because well, I want to follow Jesus, and I really want to, but I still have these old ideas that I'm gravitating to. I'm, I'm still leaning on myself, maybe not in this area of my life, but in this area of my life. I'm, I'm still wanting to take the reins. I'm still wanting to, take the, to be in the driver's seat. And the only way you're going to get freedom, as we just talked about, is surrender. Where I need to back up and say, Lord, you're Lord here. You name me here. I don't name me. I don't name myself. I don't own myself. You own 
me. And, and do, you, do, you, do you see the difference here in the way you live? I think that's what we need to actually live freely as Christ called us to. It's absorbing, first and foremost, that identity changed my, that what Christ did on the cross, it changed my identity. It changed my position, my disposition. I'm in a new reality. Think about uh, how Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, you know. He's coming out of Romans 5 and talked about where, where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. And then he asks a philosophical question. So should we continue in sin, continue walking in sin so grace can abound? And here's what he says. Hold up. How can we, who are dead to sin, continue living in it? What is Paul getting at? There's this identity and there's this shift in your reality. Do you know that when you came into Christ, you were joined to him? That as he died on the cross, so we too are dead to sin? As he rose again, so we rise to new life? This is what it means to be joined to Christ. His reality is now mine. I'm given a new name a new purpose, a new way of thinking. So I want to give us some practical examples. How do you apply this to daily life? Okay, Tim, I got you. I'm not of the world. How do I live this out, right? Specific examples. <laughs> For one, Recognize that this is a complete shift in our thinking. That coming into Christ means that I now worship the creator and not myself. That God's agenda is the agenda and not my own. So how does that look? Daily I recognize my life is not my own. Every day. Being in the kingdom of God is a 24-7 reality. I'll give you this example. This happened recently. My youngest son, he was in a room and he was doing something he should not have been doing. So my wife walks in and he jumps and he's stunned, you know, and, he's, and immediately he starts crying because he knew that he was doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing. And, and uh, it reminded me of, of something that we, we deal with sometimes, you know, like the temptation to do certain things when certain people aren't looking, you know, we're, Okay, the door, check the door. Now, I remember years ago, God convicted me so strongly about this. And it, and it came like this. See, we, we tend to think of, we worry about people in the room. Somebody coming to the door. The creator is right there. I'm right here and I see everything you're doing. It means the one that I'm going to be accountable to and stand before is right there seeing everything. And I'm worried about people walking in the room. It's a shift in your thinking. God, you're everywhere. I got to worry about people. The king is here. See, this is where we get the holy reverence and fear of God. No, you're here. I, no. No I, can't, no, I can't think that way. I know that thought came to my mind. No, that's not of God. I, no, because the king is here. He, he, he sees this. Nobody else sees it, but you know. 
living every day. So, so being aware of God's presence 24-7. There's no moment of the day where God isn't there and isn't present. And that this becomes our daily practice, right? Every day, every morning, God, I'm aware of your presence. You are here. When it comes to my body, it's recognizing my body is not my own. Contrary to the culture that might say, you know, it's my body, I do what I want, I say what I want, I go where I want, listen to what I want, it doesn't matter. In the kingdom, it's a whole way of thinking, God owns me. My body belongs to you and you only. That means I'm not going to say what I want to say, do what I want to do, think how I want to think. I surrender to your will. And we deal with struggles and challenges, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that. but. That's the posture every day. Here's another one. It's recognizing that my future is guided by God, not the stars, not the constellations. You know, our culture, you know, what's your zodiac sign? You know, I'm a, you know, I'm a Gemini and this is our personality type. This is how we do, you know, I'm a Leo and we're, we're bold and we're, you know, uh, passionate and this, this, you know, and I'm a Sagittarius and I'm Libra and all these things that we can point to to guide our lives by. But in the kingdom, my life is guided by the creator. And you know what? It's, it's actually kind of counterintuitive. I mean, get this. Why in the world spend time guiding my life by the constellations and the stars and all of that? When as Matt reminded us last week that I'm brought into relationship with the living God who created everything. So I'm really going to live my day based on what some stars and what people said, and I've got the creator who put them in place. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. So if you're doing this, I would say put the horoscopes down. Leave the tarot cards alone, the palm readings, the psychics. No, you got something more powerful. You got the king of kings and lord of lords. You got the creator. That's what my daily life is guided by. Another practice, every morning before you have your coffee, is recognizing, Lord, you are the one who gets my day going. I understand, because you know, sometime before, I don't drink coffee, but I know some folks, you know, we say this, you know, if I haven't had my coffee, you don't want to be around me. You know, I'm just, not. hold up. You mean some cup of coffee is going to regulate whether or not the character of Christ shows up in your life? Really? <laughs> You can have your coffee, but let's start the day with saying, you know what, God, you get my day going. You're my reality. And then have your coffee. Okay? And, and what I'm trying to give, you, give us to is these are things that we can put into practice every day. It's first starting off with the awareness. Every day, I am in the kingdom of God. Every day. I'm not my own. I start my day. No, I belong to you. Ooh, here's another fun one. When you're driving, caught in traffic, you'll be in traffic tomorrow morning, it's recognizing <laughs> that God dictates the words that come out of my mouth, not the person that just cut me off. I know, we got some jerks on the road, I get it. Pardon my French. But even when I'm sitting in that driver's seat, and I, I, you know tomorrow somebody's going to frustrate you. I'm in your kingdom. You know what? I can let that go. I don't need to chase them down, honk at them, 
pull up next to him and show him a mean face, show him my displeasure, I can let that go. Why? Because I'm in a different kingdom. We don't need to roll like that. No, we're called to peace, righteousness, justice. I get it. It might be a struggle, but that's how you start. Because you, you get in that driver's seat and you feel it coming. You feel it, but that's when you need to take a moment. No, no. I know how I get. I know what I could say right now. I know what I could, no. Kingdom, what does God want me to say? How does he want me to think about this situation? Another fun one, marriage. Husbands and wives are to recognize that we are called to be one, united. That we are not just individuals, we are now a unit, a team. That our marriage is beyond just us. Our marriage is to resemble the creator, to reflect the creator. And as Paul even compares the relationship of husband and wife to the Christ's love for the church, that this is a very powerful uh, representation. And that's how we're called to be, which means I've got to invest in my marriage, right? I'm called to my wife. I'm called to be faithful to her. That means we've got to invest in our marriage. It's got to become priority, you know, because we know in our culture, you know, many people can make it about self and they can make the institution of marriage about self. You know, when you get in there, you know, I'm coming to get, make sure I get what I want. And if I don't, I'm out. And sadly, that concept has, is, is among Christians. A lot of folks getting divorced, you know. Now, I'm not coming at anybody who has gone through that. It can be a difficult situation. There are different reasons why. But I just want to get at an overall mentality that we, 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 we're combating in our culture, that coming into the kingdom, we, we have to have a different reality. And so that's why I say it's important for me to invest in my wife. It's important for us to have times of just date night, to be together, to talk things out, to soar through things. Why? We are one. I don't make decisions without my wife. She doesn't make decisions without me. We're one. And to that person that says, well, you know, I thought you'd wear the pants. Listen, this is what it means to be committed to my wife. This is what it means to live under God's rule. We're one. Okay? You're not breaking that up. You're not separating that. I lay my life down for her. We serve each other. That's the call. Right? And if you're not there, guess what? You can get there. We got to start. Maybe it means like, yeah, we need to have some tough conversations. You know, if you have kids or not, you know, maybe you need a babysitter. You know, I, I'm reflecting on Matt talked last week just, just about how God can speak through creation. You know, sometimes we've had deep conversations at the beach, looking at the water, going to botanic gardens. We've had some of the deepest conversations there looking at creation. So what I'm saying, what am I saying? Make space for that because it's critical. And I need to, need to wind down. Singles, you are full participants in the kingdom of God. You're not half a person, you're a whole person. Our culture might say, well, you're not really, you're, not, you're nobody until somebody loves you, you know? No, in the kingdom, you are a full person gifted with dreams and visions. Now, of course, yes, you can desire to be married and desire to be in that relationship, but just know that's not what validates you, right? 
And besides, nobody wants to marry a half person. You want to be a whole person. All right. Okay. Parents, recognizing that our children are a blessing from God, that they are our responsibility, that we're called to teach them the things of God and model the things of God. This is what it means to be parents who are living according to the kingdom. We recognize the responsibility. For children who are listening, while our culture praises and glorifies the rebellious child, our culture promotes the feuding siblings. For you, understanding your role in Christ, you recognize that I'm called to obey and honor my parents. That I'm called to love my siblings, not beat them down, not hurt them, not crush them, but to stand up for them, to defend them. And I hope that you're seeing the opposites, right? There's a doing, there's a pursuit. A few more things and then I'll let you all go. One of the topics we talk about in this church is race. And I'm always asking the question, how is, our how is our conversation different from the culture? How are we approaching this differently? Right? That we're not, yes, we need to have hard conversations, but we're not, we're not approaching this as, you know, well, James, we're going to have this conversation, but I need you to know right now, before we start, you're the oppressor, I'm oppressed, and that's how we have this conversation, brother. No. We have this conversation recognizing that we are followers of Jesus. We are heirs in Christ. And that's the foundation we move from. Now, yes, there are hard conversations. Yes, we don't dodge and skip over the realities of history, the realities of the present. But do, do you see the foundation that we're operating from? We don't start the conversation with white supremacy. We don't start the conversation with slavery. We start the conversation with God the God who created all people. That's where we start, and it's from there that we move out to address the issues in our world. You understand? It's a different way of thinking. Money, career, I recognize money is a tool. It's not a God, it's not something to be worshiped. Our culture says that's what you live for, that's what it's about. That's what defines you, no. I'm defined by Christ and the money that God gives me is a tool. It's a responsibility, I'm called to be a steward of those resources. Real quick, Matt talked about loving our neighbor, caring for our neighbor. That means being willing to speak the truth. He talked about being willing to lay our lives down. That's what it means to be in Christ, thinking about others above and beyond ourselves. Dealing with difficult people, recognizing that they're made in the image of God. Yes, we need to have hard conversations. Yes, they might get on your nerves, but I'm still going to affirm your humanity and your dignity, even if I disagree with you, right? I'm not gonna other you. I disagree with you. I might even think you're wrong. Maybe you are wrong, but you're still made in the image of God. I'm gonna hold that firmly. Entertainment, like I said, God is not a fun killer, but our whole concept of fun changes. Okay, so we evaluate what we consider fun. I enjoy watching movies, I, I enjoy doing different things, but our whole concept uh, is, is different. That means it's okay to reevaluate some of the things I'm watching. Okay, why do I like this movie? 
Why is this my favorite movie? Why do I like this song? Actually, just evaluate it based on the kingdom. Okay, is this, is this just telling me a story or is it advertising something to me? Is it evangelizing me? Is it selling me an idea that I actually need to reject? It's a practice, put into practice every day. You can do that today. What's my favorite movie? Why do I like this movie? What, what is it? Okay. And last but not least, your past. It's recognizing that in Christ, he has forgiven your past. So while Satan might still want to haunt you, remind you of things that you've done, the kingdom says that I'm a new creation. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. And I live with that understanding. So as I finish today, I just want to say that this is what the living God has called us to. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. And as we live this out, it becomes more habitual. It becomes our practice. And that practice becomes our culture. So then someone might ask, how do you love your neighbor? It's our culture. This is what we do in the kingdom. Why aren't you driven by money? This, this, we live according to the king. And as we go in the world and we're around people and the world begins to see, people begin to see, they may just stop and ask the question. Can I ask you, can I ask you something? Where are you from? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word to us that you called us to new life. That is because of Christ that we are brought into a new reality. And by your spirit, we will live this out. And that's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 We thank the Lord for his word today, reminding us who he is, more than that, who 